Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 183. I got to hang out with one of my favorite humans, our go-to occupational therapist, Lori Goodrich. You've heard Lori on episode four, where we talked about an overview of the sensory systems. And then she joined me in our village membership for an expert Q&A, where our village members got to pop in all of their questions about sensory regulation and how it relates to their kiddos or in their household. We went through all the questions. It was super fun to hang out with Lori and our village members. And I wanted to give you a snapshot because there were so many nuggets in this Q&A. We hung out for a little over an hour, but here's just a little sneak peek into that hour. If you are interested in becoming a village member, it only opens a couple times a year, and you can always head on over to seedandso.org slash membership to get on the wait list so that you know when it opens. We have so many goodies in there, but really we're focused on diving deeper into this work with folks who are ready, who want more support and guidance, who want access to our team to ask questions, and things like this expert Q&A. We poll the village members to hear what they want more of and what they want to dive deeper into. And then we pull in experts to help support that. Lori is also coming to Mama's Getaway Weekend. She is doing a live Q&A with me there as well. So if you want to come join us, we have a few tickets left. Mama's Getaway Weekend is September 25th and 26th in Watertown, New York. It happens once a year. It's the only place that I am in person this year. Head on over to mamasgetawayweekend.com to snag your ticket and come pick Lori's brain in September. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hello, hello, folks. I just hanging out is something I've missed so much, and I'm 
very much looking forward to getting back to the live Q and A's on Wednesdays with y'all. And Mariana, thanks for letting me do this with Lori today because hanging out's my favorite, but really like hanging out and talking about sensory systems is my all-time favorite. So I'm jazzed that we get to do that together. Hi, Lori. Hi. Lori, I think everyone in the village knows who you are at this point. We talk about you all the time. So, uh, but Lori is our OT, our go-to OT over here. And someone I have had the privilege of working with in person with, uh, in my classroom and have just never stopped working with because getting nerdy with you is so fun. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> uh, we have a bunch of questions in here that I'm just going to throw at you and we can kind of dive into. Yeah. A bunch of people popped in questions that also couldn't be here today, but the recording will be up in Kajabi. So, yeah, I'm dive right in. All right, let's do this. <laughs> okay. One of the things I was super jazzed about when I was reading through these, because I think it's really interesting and fun, uh, is oral motor stuff. There are a few questions about oral motor. So I'm going to throw this one at you. My two and a half year old has always been oral sensory seeking, if that's the right term. He uses a pacifier for sleep currently, but we're getting ready to end it. What are some other ways we can help him meet this need, especially at night? Uh, that's a great question. And I know I always I always botch the difference between coping strategies and coping mechanisms that that Steve uses. Um, but mechanisms that, for us are not long term strategies right. are like strategies are long term. I, can, I know there's a difference. I can't remember which one's which. Okay, so strategies <laughs> are long term ones, right? So that idea of you're like we're going to transition away from something that's been working for for them, your child, and what else can we use to kind of meet the need that they're getting met by the pacifier. And we know that oral motor is one of our prime regulators. I'm sure I'm not the only, I just saw Alyssa taking a drink from her cup. I have mine, you know, I have a colleague that used to chew on pens. Like we use these things as adults too. It's actually one way of down-regulating your nervous system. The sucking and resistive chewing are two ways that we down-regulate our nervous system. So if I was thinking of replacement things, and I do get asked this for lots of age kids of like, they're doing this, they're chewing on their shirt, they're, they have a pacifier. You could think of other oral inputs if that's something that that child really likes. So even things of getting like intensity into their mouth, like a chewy tube, or, you know, they make toothbrushes, like rubber toothbrushes, it looks like bananas that you can chew on, just to give some other ideas of how do I actually give some of that type of input. If sucking is a really important part of that, you know, you might do like, you know, maybe part of dinner time is like always having a drink through a straw as a way of giving some of that resistive suck so that they're getting that kind of input as a regulator at different times during the day. The other thing you can do is go down a different route. If you're like, oh, they're oral seeking, but they need that for like a really long time for it to work. You might think of big body things also. So if your child likes like deep pressure or muscle input, you might think of things like, you know, the burrito, like burrito roll-ups or um, those kind of things that you can do during bedtime, like around, if you're reading books or something like that, you could add it in there. And that's another, just another way of down-regulating the nervous system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. 
The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE for 20% off your order. Yeah, Rad, that proprioceptive input. These folks are familiar with proprioceptive and vestibular input, so you can throw that at them too. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I think I remember you saying to me when I was teaching was that the inner ear is right there, right? And so it's so close to this whole situation, the mouth, the yeah. sucking, the chewing, the whatever, that sometimes vestibular input could be what they're after or seeking. It is can, it true? Yeah, that you have such a good memory, Alyssa. So in general, putting something in your mouth wouldn't necessarily activate that. But if you're doing vibration, so like an electric toothbrush, uh, how the mechanism that we register, if anyone's interested, Alyssa and I are nerdy and probably like this, hopefully other people do too. It's actually a little mechanism in your inner ear and vibration is one way to tap into it. It's sometimes when like, have you ever been near like a really vibrating truck and you, I feel dizzy sometimes. I have a really sensitive movement system, but that vibration can kind of fake out your movement system. So in general, putting general things in your mouth wouldn't activate your vestibular system, but certain things can. Okay. That makes sense. Also made me think with, Sage is super sensitive. It doesn't need a lot of vestibular input. Loves proprioceptive. Mm-hmm. And we were at a wedding this past weekend and we used the noise canceling headphones. But if he he was still clearly like would get dysregulated by the sound and you, it was for sure vibrations from this music. I was I said this really have weddings always been this loud and I just didn't know. Right, <laughs> was like, yeah. 
And I work with adults that, you know, they, they're describing things and I'm like, you have a sound sensitivity and you also have a movement sensitivity because sound comes in through air and comes in through vibration. So you're getting it through two and that's bone and the bone called bone conduction, but like you can be overwhelmed by both of those or one of them. So it's not super surprising that headphones will block out sound, but they're not going to take the, they're not going to take the vibration part out. Yeah, that is so interesting. And then Zach, who loves and craves vestibular input, is a drummer. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is all adding up. It kind of depends on what you want to move towards. Like I know I work with, um, you know, I work with lots of kids with different needs. And like sometimes the kids are older and the parents are noticing like, you know, it's their only strategy or, you yeah. know, maybe their food progression is not happening the way they want it to, you know, mm-hmm. and there's pacifiers are totally fine. I don't have anything. I don't have an issue with pacifiers, but sometimes the movement pattern you're getting out of that can get in the way of eating patterns. It's not a definitive, like if you have a pacifier, you're going to have feeding problems, but sometimes those things go hand in hand. So having, I also think having a variety is always good for kids, but like some people, my, my colleagues and I joke, like we like different fidgets. I like ones that move really rhythmically and they like squishy ones, like other people like different things, but like some people really like sucking and some people like chewing um, and both have a regulatory benefit. So sometimes it's paying attention to like, what are my kids? What did they seem to really go for? And even those, um, you know, those like, they're like, they're me- they make mesh ones and like silicone ones that you can put food inside of and suck. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to do food at night, but you know, something like that, just to like, if you're like, we're trying to break out of the pacifier and like no pacifier might be too tricky, like things that are variation variations that look like pacifiers are a good way to kind of just get away from the one thing and move away from something as you're trying to work towards things. Yeah. And just as that Katie, I think is in our sleep program, but for us for sleep, we're totally fine with mechanisms for sleep that like, it's not something that we're like, we need to move from mechanisms to strategies, which is what we try to do throughout the day for kiddos as much as possible. Just with the idea of like, you might not be in a boardroom with a lovey down the road. What are you going to tap into? Right. But you could sleep with a lovey and forever. So right. I my super active, almost six-year-old still jumps on me all the time and attempts to climb me like a tree. I have a bad back and it scares me when I get jumped on out of the blue. Fair. I have an extremely low tolerance for this behavior and remind her every day that she can't do this to my body. And I have other great options available for her, an indoor climber, swing, trampoline, gym mat, circus rings, yoga ball, a hammock, you name it. How do right. I make her stop? I sound like a broken record and it hurts. Yes. Yes. Um, I have a, a eight-year-old nephew who does that with my, my sister. And I'm always like, thank goodness that's not me because I have a really bad back. And like, he would probably actually hurt me. You know, yeah. she's okay with it to a degree. And then she's like, get off of me. So yeah. that's such a, it's great. It sounds like you really thought about like, what are some great options for different sensory tools? It sounds like you have so many going on there. Sometimes families that I work with, the kids are, they're seeking input, but they're also seeking connection. So if you're like, wow, I'm giving them all these input choices and they're really not picking them, it might be what they want is, you know, input plus connection. That doesn't mean jump all over me. It could be what can we do together that's physical. So, you know, if you were doing like the yoga ball is a great example of like, let's play steamroller, like I roll the ball over you, then you can roll, roll, you know, or maybe you can roll the ball over me. Things that are still going to be that sort of relational connection along with the sensory input might be something to try. 
I also know from my nephew, the longer he's, he's been doing the thing that he does for as long as I can remember. And he's, he's like, he's big. He's like 75 pounds. He's not little. Um, I just saw him and was like, when did you get so big? Um, <laughs> knowing that it takes a long time to like break patterns that you're in. I think for all of us as humans, um, that like, if a child of a person has been doing something, whether that's a child or no, over and over and over again, it just takes time to kind of get in the habit of, you know, get moving away from that and building up other strategies. But I would try pairing, if you haven't already tried it, pairing the input with connection and relationship and seeing if that changes it to a degree. I love the note of not just connection, but connection with input. Like what, what can we do? That's not just, are we, are you trying to connect with me? And like, we can go draw, which cool if that works too, but maybe they do also need that input and pairing those together. I finally listened to the Voices of Your Village podcast, so the episode with us, Lori, episode four, uh, and was so interested to hear about the social component. Can you say more about how sensory plays into something like asking for a toy back if another child takes it? For example, seeing my two and a half year old struggle with this, and I described it to the pandemic lack of social interactions, but I wonder if I should be looking for patterns. 100% this is an issue for me as a child and persists as social anxiety in adulthood. Tips for supporting my kiddo and tips for me. So I'm wondering if what she's saying is the organizational planning and like being able to navigate that social group of like sharing a toy or connecting with others. Right. I'm just talking to a colleague of mine at the speech therapist about how complicated social skills are, you know, as as children that are learning them and as adults that are still continuing to like, you know, have different relationships, you know, with different types of different people and different dynamics that play out, they're super complicated. Um, certainly sensory processing is not the only one. So I just want to be clear about that, that it's not like, oh, this is the only thing that matters. There's lots of other sort of, uh, you know, communication skills, language skills, um, reading nonverbals. There's a lot of things that come into play for social skills. From, from, a, from a sensory perspective, some of the big things I think about is, and Alyssa, I know the triangle when, we were, when you were like evolving that, I was like, think of it like sensory is at the bottom. Um, yeah. which is about, to me, the bottom of like, it's how we function as humans. It's, you know, not just for motor skills or paying attention or sleep. It's like how we just function in general. So if I'm thinking about social skills, I'm thinking like, wow, that's a really integrated skill that requires a lot of things to be happening. But like, what do I know that I can tap into how to support someone doing their best in that? And the one of the biggest one is being regulated. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like yourself again. 
That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. So if you're going into, and that could be regulation from too much stimulation, it could be regulation from a, I'm feeling anxious and I know this is hard for me, and that could be a child or an adult. That's not exclusive to any. Yeah, age. but like I was wondering the, how the interceptive system might play into this. Right. Yeah. So it's like, do I know that I get dysregulated? <laughs> you know, that could be. I mean, a, a young child wouldn't necessarily be fully tapped into that, but we do want to be thinking about. It. So interceptive is like, you know, butterflies in your stomach you know, or for me, like tension in my jaw, you know, things that uh, like reading the, your body cues of how you're feeling. And then those connect to a, like, um, they connect to your emotions, right? So like me knowing butterflies in my stomach, it means I'm nervous about something. So there is a uh, being able to read body cues. And, you know, for a younger child, it's still expectedly developing those skills, it might be an adult saying, oh, I know they're getting nervous about this, how can I help downregulate their nervous system? So they have the best chance of accessing their best skills. Yeah. Other things that come into play that Alyssa just mentioned are um, like your planning or motor planning skills, which is like, I can figure out how to do something that could be like a dance move or like someone asking me to do something. And I can take that verbal information and compute it to like a motor function. So like, I want to play with the toy or like, how do I actually do that? Or can I even be flexible enough to know, like, if I give that toy, I'm going to get it back. Now, those are expected things. All kids go through the like, I don't want to share, give it back. I'm going to like pull on your hair. All kids do all those things. But sometimes when it's, you know, if you're looking at other kids that you're like, oh, you know, other kids are sort of developing the area. They seem more comfortable with it. You know, those kind of things It might be like, hmm, I'm wondering what's getting in the way. You know, is it that there's language pieces of like, can I organize my language enough to explain what I'm asking for? There's a lot of things that come into play with social capacities, but from a sensory perspective, the two that I'm often thinking about are, is this person in a regulated enough state to even access doing this? Mm -hmm. And if that's the, if that feels like the thing that's going on with the kid, I might do like some regulation activities beforehand, depending on what works. It could be some of the oral motor things we've talked about. It could be, you know, bouncing on a yoga ball or sometimes just riding on a swing can be really regulating for a child before they get into that situation. Yep. Um, might be something to think about. And then if there's a planning challenge of like, I'm having a hard time understanding this. I like practicing with adults. A lot of the, the kids that I work with do well with, you know, they're getting the skills down and they just need to polish, you know, what do I say and what do I do? 
kids are more or less predictable than we are. So it's not always the easiest thing to like mimic the thing, but just getting some languaging down and like what to expect and what, you know, what might happen. They might say you can have the toy and they might say you can't have the toy, you know, just so they start yeah. to get an idea of um, what might actually happen in a given situation. Yeah, that pre-teaching, you know, I, part of Lauren and I diving into the set method and getting to where we are now was that we were noticing that everything we had access to in social emotional learning was so heavily social focused right. and that you can't do that work. As you said, there are so many things that go into it yeah. without doing the emotion work first yeah. and that like a kid's not going to be able to share if they don't feel safe or what, whatever the scenario is, if the emotions aren't addressed first. And furthermore, with that triangle of growth, if our sensory systems are dysregulated. And so um, that came up for me of like at two and a half, I, I'm largely focused on the sensory and emotional component and not super focused on the social component yet. So like when we build that body awareness for them and help them build that relationship with themselves, then we can move into the social component in a whole different way. Yeah, that's totally true. I, th I think if I, if I understood that question right, it sounded like maybe the parent was also feeling a little bit like, I'm not sure about what to do about it. You know, I think sometimes I know I've had situations that I'm like, Ooh, I I'm working on this skill as a therapist because I need to be able to help um, kids. I think some, to some degree, there's some empathy that it can, it can exist in there. Like you're like, this is hard and it's different for everybody. Yeah. Like, social development. Totally. But yeah, those are situations that like, if you're in a, like a preschool or like a toddler classroom, you're seeing the adults intervene a lot more and support because they kids can't do it themselves. You know, they need yeah. adults to be in there helping. So much scaffolding. <laughs> and then as you get into the older classrooms, you see that still exists, but you're seeing kids start to be able to do some negotiation on their own because they've had all that modeling, you know, and their sensory emotional systems are, you know, more developed than they were, you know, a couple of years ago. So it's sort of, I think, expectation setting. I know I, um, I feel like sometimes we expect little kids to act like adults and they're not. You know, they're just not, no matter how verbal they are, their skill sets are different than ours. So I think like, you know, realizing that those are things to expect for young kids is also important for us as adults. Yeah, I also, one of the things that I have found helpful when we are working in those social pieces, you mentioned, you mentioned the pre-teaching and also getting curious about, tell me what your plan was. Like if that child has a plan for their toys, maybe they have this whole train set and it's all set up and they envisioned this play to go a certain way. And now somebody else is stepping into it and it's messing with their plan. Yeah. So like, it, and this happens with adults too. Like, let me know what your plan is. Between my husband and I all the time of like, oh, I had a plan and an expectation and I didn't communicate it. I did, maybe wasn't even aware of it. And now he's stepping in and doing something else and it's messing with my plan. Yeah. And being able to have that cognitive flexibility first, we need awareness around what was our plan and what are we nervous about if this person comes in and uses this toy? You mentioned like maybe they aren't sure they're going to get it back or maybe they're nervous if they give that kid the car, that kid's going to knock down their block tower with that car. You know, like really diving into the curiosity with kids to find out more about what's happening inside that maybe we aren't hearing from them yet. Right. I love that. The way I think about that sometimes when I'm with kids and this, 
Yeah, it's like, it could be any age kid. It could be a little kid. It could be an older kid that like, they really haven't figured out what's getting in their way. I sometimes will try to, I'll guess what I think it is. I wonder if it's this. And honestly, I, I when I work with kids of all abilities, if you start talking about things, I feel like they feel connected in that. And like, they do start to build, you know, one of my kids today, who's, who's three, he said, I'm sad. I'm sad that we're leaving, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, the, you know, he's like, he doesn't know what to, he doesn't know what to do with this. And, you know, we probably, we kind of just talked about like how much we are going to miss each I'm on vacation next week. Um, we're going to miss each other. And like me helping to lead him through this multiple times before, as opposed to him just throwing himself on the ground and crying, which was yeah. sort of, you know, because he was still building emotional capacity of understanding. And also like, when's Lori coming back? You know, there's a lot of things for him that he was working out. I hope you enjoyed that little sneak peek into our expert Q&A from the Village Membership. It's one of my favorite things, getting to hang out with Lori and get nerdy about the sensory systems. And if you would like to join me in asking your questions live to Lori, come join us at Mama's Getaway Weekend in September, the last weekend of September, we're hanging out in Watertown, New York, and we have a few tickets left. Come join us and ask Lori your burning questions. She'll be there live to hang out with me for a Q&A. Head to mamasgetawayweekend.com to snag your ticket today. We have just a few remaining. mamasgetawayweekend.com Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.